Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from August 8th by Pastor Randy, titled, Deliverance from Disappointment. So, we have been looking at, on Sunday mornings the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at the story of Moses and the Israelites and their deliverance out of bondage in order to use that as a platform on how God wants to deliver us out of bondage. And so we saw how God wants to deliver us out of the bondage of fear, of adequacy, and today we're going to look how he wants to deliver us out of the bondage of disappointment. Some of you may remember, years ago, there was a song that, that we used to sing, and, and, and the words were, were quite famous. And so pastors and music leaders, they would get up, and, and, and they would start out by saying, God is good. And the people would respond by saying, oh, y'all remember, y'all around 20 years ago. So true, God is good all the time, but life is not always good all the time. You can't live in a fallen world and not go through life and experience some disappointment. It's just going to happen. That's just part of it. But here's the key that I want you to remember. While disappointment is inevitable, living in the prison of disappointment is optional. And that's what we're going to look at. How can we escape living in the prison of disappointment? Now, immediately, you're first going to say, well, I don't think I'm very disappointed in life. But I'm telling you this, we're going to walk through this. And this is going to be an amazing journey, how to get out of this prison of disappointment. And where it ends up is an amazing place. So we're going to watch this develop through Moses' life and in hopes that you can make this a part of your life. And you may discover, oh, I've been living in this prison of disappointment and I didn't understand or realize that I was there. But a lot of people, they live their entire lives here. Because it's one of those things like we discovered before. People live their entire lives under fear. They're afraid of things. When Jesus says, you don't need to be afraid of these things that everybody else is afraid of. You don't need, the only thing you need to fear is me. We talked about inadequacy. People live feeling like they're not enough. And people can live that way their entire lives. But people can also live in this prison of disappointment their entire lives. So that's what we're going to look at. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says to him, let my people go. And that's where we're going to pick up the story with here in, in Exodus chapter 5. Later, Moses and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. So what Pharaoh is saying, look, Yahweh, I never heard of this Yahweh. Who is this Yahweh? The only deity you need to be concerned about is me. That's what he's saying. But they answered, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice the Lord our God or else he may strike us with plague or sword. The king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous and you would stop them from their labor? Then Pharaoh, that, that day Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as their foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves. 
but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. So things aren't going exactly as Moses planned in this. Become a little more difficult than he anticipated. He's about to experience a whole lot of disappointment. Because not only is Pharaoh not letting the people go, he's making things worse. Now they got to find their own straw to make bricks. And what happens is when they can't make the same amount of bricks, they wind up getting beaten. So this is what happens next. The Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble when they were told you cannot reduce your daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses and Aaron who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord take note of you and judge, they said to them, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord and asked, Lord, why have you caused trouble for these people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. So when this message that you have to make, find your own straw to make the bricks and have the same quota of bricks, when that goes to the foreman of the Israelites and down to the people, they consider now Moses a bigger threat to them than Pharaoh. He's a bigger problem than Pharaoh. So now Moses... What he's saying is, look, I've been here before. Forty years earlier, I tried to deliver the people out of bondage, and, and it was an epic fail. And here I am again, Lord. Why are you allowing this to happen, Lord? So he's disappointed because he sees this failure happening all over again. But he should have known this was going to happen because here's what God told Moses in the burning bush. He says, however, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go even under force from a strong hand. But when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I'll perform in it, after that he will let you go. So he should have known better. A couple of things I want you to see from this at the beginning here. Number one is this, an assignment from God doesn't guarantee immediate success. Just because God tells you something to do and you go, oh, God told me to do this, God wants me to do this, that doesn't mean immediately it's going to be successful. But something more important, disappointment can only reside where hope is lived. You're not going to be disappointed in life if you didn't have any hopes. Okay? Let, let me illustrate this way. This is somewhat embarrassing, but I will go ahead and share it. Growing up, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. I know, I'm ashamed now. But two things. One, that was back when they were relevant. Okay? Number two, my mom grew up in Texas. And although she didn't know anything about football or care about football, if the Cowboys were playing, she'd go, would the Cowboys win? I hope the Cowboys win or something like that. And so I was a Cowboys fan. Now, both my kids are grown, and they live on either side of Dallas. One's on the east side of Dallas, one's on the west side of Dallas. Their whole teenage and adult life, the Cowboys have never been relevant. They've won maybe one or two playoff games. That's it. So guess what? When the Cowboys lose, they're not disappointed. They had no hopes of them winning to begin with. See, disappointment can only come where there's been any hope. 
So you have a person who, who wants to teach school so they go and get their degree to become a teacher. But when they get into that first year teaching school, what happens? Well, now there's all these rules they got to obey. And then the parents, they got issues from the parents, maybe even issues from their own principals, and now they're disappointed because they're not making the difference that they thought they could. Or they want to become policemen because they want to make a difference in the community and they want to keep people safe. But when they get on a job, they find that people look at them with nothing but contempt. Or the seminary student wants to, to pastor a church and then when he finally gets into church, he finds this is not all I thought it was going to be. And then if it's last year during COVID, you had pastors leaving the ministry in record numbers last year because of COVID. And suddenly they're all disappointed because it wasn't what they hoped it would be. But there's no disappointment like when people have their heart crushed because they lose their hope in God. So here's the question. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Now, before you say no, you give the church answer of no. A lot of times people, they don't realize, but they're actually living in that prison of disappointment. And Satan loves to come to us and use that, use that disappointment in God and use that to come in and cause destruction in, in our lives. So I want you to realize that there are times when we are more susceptible to disappointment than other times. The first one, we're susceptible to disappointment when spiritual highs don't last. Here's what we read in Exodus chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron repeated everything the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them, that he had seen their misery, they knelt low and worshiped. So this is when Moses and Aaron is coming back from Moses' burning bush uh, uh, experience and they come to the leaders of the Israelites and they explain to them that God's heard their prayers. Not only that, those signs that we talked about last week of the snake and the, and the leprosy hand and all that, they performed to them and the people, man, they're, they're excited. God sees us. And look, it's God. Look at these miracles. And so they're at a mountaintop. They're on a high. But how many of you know you don't live your life usually on the mountaintop? Most life is living in the valley, right? So it's kind of like this. You go on a marriage retreat and, and, and you get back from that as, and you and your spouse, you're on a, a spiritual high. Your marriage seems like it's never stronger. But then when you get back, you got to go back to the routine of life. And it's not long before marriage just goes back just the way it was. Or you go on a retreat as a teenager or, or an adult and you have this great spiritual high on retreat. But then when you get back home, you realize the people you work with, the people you go to school with, they could care less that you had some spiritual high to retreat. Or you're praying with your small group at church and you're praying about this issue or this person and, and you see a miracle happen in their life. You see those prayers answered. But when you pray for what you want to see God do, it doesn't happen. And you're disappointed. If you had to have those, those mountaintop experiences in order for your faith to, to survive in your life, your faith's going to always struggle. If you have to see those miracles always take place in order to have your faith in God, then your faith is going to struggle. Because most of life is not lived on the mountaintop. Most of life is lived in the valley. Secondly, we're susceptible to disappointments when the desired outcome doesn't happen or desired outcomes don't happen. When the thing that you know should happen doesn't happen. 
the thing that you feel entitled to to happen doesn't happen. Elvis Presley, before he was famous, he would often hang out at a steakhouse in Memphis because they would give him free food. Then he becomes famous. So three years later, he's back at that steakhouse. And it just so happened that they're having a, a, an Elvis impersonation contest. He decides to enter. <laughs> Sings one of his, his songs, Love Me Tender. Gets some polite applause. Comes in third place. <laughs> How do you come in third place at an Elvis impersonation contest when you're Elvis? How does that happen? And the same thing in life. The things sometimes we think we're entitled to that should happen, it doesn't happen. And obedience doesn't help. Moses was obedient to God. He did everything God told him to do, but did it wind up with, with the Israelites being freed from bondage? No. So oftentimes we don't get the things that we're entitled to. And so it causes us to, to live in this prison of disappointment. God, I tithe, yet I'm going bankrupt. What's up with that? I thought if I tithed, you'd bless my finances, but I'm going bankrupt. God, I quit drinking, but my marriage didn't get healed. I thought if I stopped doing this, it would heal my marriage. God, I thought if I started reading my Bible and praying, then, then this over here would happen. See, just in life, there's going to be times where it's almost as if we're being set up to be disappointed in, in God. Jesus even admits this. He tells John the Baptist, blesses the man doesn't stumble over me. In other words, there's going to be times where God's going to be doing things and, and you're going to go, why is he doing that? Why doesn't he come through with me? Shouldn't he be doing this for me? And so Jesus even admits that there's going to be times in life where that happens, where we feel like we're entitled to something and it doesn't happen at all. It falls through. Life is going to be that way. So let's go back to what we said. Disappointment is inevitable, but living in a prison of disappointment is optional. So how do you get out of that? What do you do to get out of it? That's what we're going, that's what we're going to look at. How do you keep from living in a prison of disappointment? The first thing is this. People who experience freedom from disappointment don't quit when faith gets hard. Because I hate to break it to you, but sometimes your faith is going to get hard. They found out that Japanese students do a lot better with math than American students. They couldn't figure out why, because it wasn't an intelligence issue. So what they did is they, they took a group of first graders and they gave them a test. And the test wasn't to see if they could solve the problem. They just gave them one problem. The test wasn't to see if they could solve the problem. The, the problem was way above what, what any of them could solve. The test was to see how long they would work on the problem before they gave up. And the American first graders, on average, worked on that problem nine and a half minutes before they gave up. The Japanese students worked an average of 15 minutes, almost 50% more, 50% better than the American students before they gave up. Listen, faith is going to get hard. I hate to break it to you, but faith is not always easy. There's going to be times when faith, when following after God, when doing what you know God wants you to do, when sometimes that's just going to be hard. It's not always going to be easy. 
So if you want to break free from that prison disappointment, realize there's times when it's going to be hard. The second thing, be honest with God about what you want. Be honest with God. See, Moses is experiencing disappointment like he did 40 years earlier. The difference is this time he takes his disappointment to God. God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, I thought you, you were going to set them free from bondage. Things have only gotten worse. God can handle it when you vent. Okay? When you've got tough questions, he can handle that. Now, there are times in the Bible where people are scolded because of the way they approach God, but it's different. It's different between coming to God and, and coming to him because you want answers, because you want to understand, versus coming to God when you're just not being submissive, when you don't want to, to do what you, what, what you don't want to happen, what, what you want to happen, uh, it, when it's a submission issue. For example, it's different between saying, God, this is what I want you to do, and if you don't do it, I'm out of here. That's different between saying, God, I don't understand what's going on. Please help me understand. Completely different situation. So a little small book of Habakkuk. Chapter 1, Habakkuk, he's, he's questioned, God, why is this going on? Why are you letting this happen? That, that's the whole first chapter of Habakkuk. He's, he's venting at God. But then he says this, chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on lookout tower and I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. So he says, look, I'm just going to, I've let it all out to God. I've been toward him. I'm just going to sit here and listen to see what he has to say. God, I want to understand. There's a movie a couple years ago called Stepford Wives. And it's about this community where all the wives, they're, they're beautiful, they're happy, they're smiling, they're, they're great homemakers, they're, 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 they fix their husbands these gourmet meals, they do everything to please their husbands. And they're happy about it, except they're all robots. And there's no real relationship there. There's no real debt. There's no real intimacy. See, I, I don't want a vending machine Stepford type of God which there is no real relationship. I don't want a Bible where if there's something I don't like in the Bible, something that convicts me that I don't like, I just rip it off and throw it, throw it away and pretend it doesn't exist. See, I want a relationship with God where at times I have to wrestle with Him. I want a relationship with God where, where there's some real depth, some real intimacy. Not anything that's just pretend. Every parent knows that you don't give your child everything that they want. And if God is good all the time, he's not going to give us everything we want. There's going to be times where you're going to be wrestling with him. Where things that's going on that you don't quite understand. So, first of all, there are times when faith is going to be hard. Uh, secondly, tell God what you want. And third... Ask God to help you to want what he wants. Maybe what you want is not what God wants. Maybe what you want is not how God wants or not when God wants, but better than that, maybe what God wants is bigger than what you want. See, Moses wants the Israelites 
freed from bondage. God wants that too, but he also wants his name to be glorified throughout the whole earth. This is what message God has for Pharaoh in the middle of these plagues. This is what Pharaoh, this is what God is saying to Pharaoh, uh, to tell Moses, tell Pharaoh, by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with the plague and you would have been obliterated from the earth. God's saying, Pharaoh, I could have just wiped you out. However, I let you live for this purpose, to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. God would say to Moses, look, Moses, I could have made this easy. I could have gone in and just had you just lead the people out and I could have made it easy, but my glory would have diminished. See, I had a plan and the reason I delayed in delivering my people out of Egypt is not to make you miserable, but I had a bigger goal in mind so that my glory would be known throughout the whole earth. So we have to ask this question. Do you want God to be glorified more than you want to get what you want? Do you? How do you know that you want God to be glorified more than you want to get what you want? Are you able to worship him in the midst of difficult circumstances? That's how you know. Let me qualify the word worship. Worship is not fine by grumbling and complaining. You can't grumble and complain about these people, this situation, these things that's going on, and still have God be glorified. You can't, worship is not grumbling and complaining. Do you understand that? You can't do both. So don't tell me that you're giving God worship in the circumstances of your life, and then you turn around and you gripe about those circumstances to people or to the world or Facebook or whatever you do on social media. There's a song that we sing sometime, Blessed Be Your Name, and the phrase in there, when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all that it should be, and then on a road marked with suffering when there's pain in the offering. When you can, in any circumstances of life, sit down and worship God, then you're probably at the point where you want God's glory more than you want to get what you want to get. So, let me ask you a different way. Do you want to see God glorified more than you want to see the liberals or conservatives get their way? Do you want to see God glorified more than you want the government to spend the, your money the way you want them to spend your money and to react to COVID the way you want them to react to COVID? Do you? Before you give the church answer, of course I do, then how come you're not ministering to God in your life? How come you're not using your gifts to serve him? How come you're not repenting of your sin in your life? Now, I used to take a lot of, word, a lot of things for granted when I would preach. I'd go, oh, they know what the word repent means. I'm not so sure anymore. The word repent means that you confess and you forsake your sin. But now I think I need to explain what confess means. 
Confess means that you're out in the open with it, that you're not trying to hide it anymore, that, that, that there's people who know and who are praying for you. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, James says. So confession is out in the open. And forsaken? Forsaken means you're done with the sin. Not just done outwardly, but done inwardly. You don't even want it anymore in your heart. If the church, if the people in the church were just one half as passionate about being connected to God as they are about social issues, we'd see revival. But instead, we live in a prison of disappointment. And we're not really serious about wanting God glorified more than we want what we want. You could at least say, ouch. <laughs> so let's conclude. Two things in the conclusion. Exodus 6, 1 through 8. But the Lord replied to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from this, this land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was not known to them by the name of the Lord. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, but I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Here's what I want you to understand in conclusion. This right here. More important than knowing why we are waiting is knowing who we are waiting on. See, four times in those verses we just read, he says, I am the Lord. Eight times he says, I will. What God is saying to Moses is this, have I ever made a promise and not kept it? Have I ever announced an outcome and not seen it come through to that outcome? See, while you're living in a prison disappointment, you need to consider the track record of the God that you're disappointed in. Has anything I ever wanted to happen not happened? Listen, one day God will get a new heaven and a new earth. One day Jesus will get a spotless bride. That's the church. Right now the church is pretty messed up. But one day, one day God's going to get to you he wants. This is the verse we had in vacation Bible school. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. One day, God will get to you he wants. So he's going to get the earth he wants. He's going to get the, the church he wants. He's going to get the you he wants. And when that happens, you will not be disappointed. So before you live in that prison disappointment, you need to realize that the track record of the God who you're disappointed in. The second thing, do you have the wrong outlook? 
Do you have the wrong outlook? Moses is upset because God isn't doing what he thinks God should do. But Moses is upset at the wrong thing. Moses should be upset over why is he so upset? He should be upset over being upset. That should be his first clue that something is wrong because he's so upset at God. The fact that he's upset shows he needs an adjustment in life. He needs to start looking at things differently from a different perspective. But guess what? He gets it. Finally, it breaks through. Moses' fear, gone. His inadequacy, feeling like he can't do anything, gone. His disappointment with God, it's gone. This is what we read later on. As they're, as they're leaving Egypt and approaching the, the Red Sea, as Pharaoh approached, uh, so Pharaoh's army is coming after Egypt. We know that part of the story, I hope, as they're leaving. So as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians coming after them. The Israelites were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Moses' fear is gone. Stand firm. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. Then he says this. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. It seems as if all is lost as far as the Israelites are concerned. The Egyptians are coming. The government's coming. They're going to take away all our stuff. Worse than that, they're going to enslave us again. They're going to start beating us again. And worse than that, they'll probably even kill us. What are we going to do? Moses' response is, don't be afraid, just be quiet. Because he's gotten over his disappointment, he's gotten over his inadequacy, he's gotten over his fear. So do you have the wrong outlook? Do you have the wrong outlook in life? You know that you have the wrong outlook in life if you're angry at the very people who you should be trying to share the gospel with. Paul tells us not to be angry with, not to be upset with, uh, not to speak evil of anyone, not even our leaders, not our bosses. Don't speak evil of anyone. Now, we have an obligation to speak against abortion, to speak against pornography, but we should never put politics over the gospel. Never. Here, I wanted, you, I wanted to write this down so or have you to see it. It's because Christians have lost sight of the power of the gospel that we have retreated to fighting battles in the political realm. Now, some of you may think I'm pointing towards a group of people, whatever. No, this is for us all. We have all, as Christians, we've lost sight of the power of the gospel to change people's lives. 
So then what do we do? We just get angry at other people then because we don't have any more faith in the gospel, so we just get angry at others. That's all of us. Nobody gets a pass here. That's all of us. So, life is hard. And we'll be disappointed when God doesn't do what we expect him to do. But may we hold on to the fact that he's working in ways that we cannot see and that one day he will get what he wants and that should increase our trust. But maybe a more personal question. We live in a culture where everybody's mad, right? Everybody's mad at something. Would it be possible for you to get upset over the sin that's in your own life and over the sin that's in the church? If you're going to get upset about anything, can you be upset about that? Can you be upset about what's going on in your own life? Again, nobody gets a pass here. You don't get to sit back and say, well, those people over there, you know, if they didn't have such issues, you know, things would be okay. No, we're all in this. Do you understand when you see our church leaders fall, you know, one after the other, after the other, after the other, after the other, and they all fall because of immorality or some discretion or, or something like that? Do you realize when, when a leader falls, there's 20 times more people in the church with the same issue? Do you understand how often I have to hear, Pastor, can we talk? And I know it's, it's, it's one or two things it's going to be about. I mean, I just, just expect that after a while. And yet people want to be disappointed in God and not look at what's going on in their own lives. What I want to do is for you to understand that one day God will get what he wants. And that should increase your faith. In the meantime, if you're going to get upset about anything, get upset about what's going on in your own life. Quit, letting the, quit trying to fight the battles over here in the secular realm. The battles ought to be fought spiritually within your own heart right now. Because that's what you have to do when you need revival. And that's what our culture needs is revival. And when you need revival, you can't be pointing your finger at what's going on in the culture. You have to start with your own heart. Do you understand that? And you have to be serious about it. So, next month, we're restarting our small groups. And we're going to be doing small groups. We're all going to be doing the same thing together and walking through that together just for a few weeks as we sort of put a refocus on, on how we're doing our small groups. But the purpose of that is hopefully that through your small groups, you might see a revival happen within your own, within your own heart and your own life. That's where we're headed. And I'm going to be asking you to take a serious look at yourself. To not just be a part of a small group, but to do some prayer and fasting together. So that we, we're at least we're, we're open with knowing that we need revival and God, we're seeking after you. And the only question is, do you want to do that or not? And I can't force that. 
And I'm not going to get upset whatever happens, whichever way you go. I mean, I just have to, my responsibility is to, to give you the word that God wants you to hear. It, it's up to you what you do with it. The only thing I can do is put forth the spiritual energy to try and push you in the same direction. So that's where we're headed. And we've been talking about this for several months, and you're going to be hearing more and more about it. Next month, we're going to have small group leaders get up every Sunday and tell you about their small group and what's going on and, 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 and that type of thing. Uh, several new ones will be starting up. So, so that's going to be happening because we need to get out of the bondage that we're in as a people, as a Christian culture. So what about you for today? What about you? Make it personal. What are you wanting to do? Do you want to see God work in your life? Or are you willing to repent? Or are you willing to, to say, okay, God, I need to be involved in ministry. I need you to use me and not sit back and, and look at other people. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.